Welcome to the London Irish Business Society Leadership Series. My name is Brian O'Connor. In this series, we spend time with leaders across a range of industries, discussing their careers, leadership advice, and what it means to be part of the global Irish community. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Mark Murphy, CEO of Irish fintech company Finergo. Finergo provides client lifecycle management software solutions to corporate and institutional banking clients. These solutions help their clients to transform how they manage their relationships with customers and to achieve compliance with multiple global and local regulatory frameworks. Finergo closed their latest funding round in February of this year, taking the total investment in the firm to $155 million. Mark, who founded Finergo in 2008, has been named a FinTech 100 Most Influential Leader. He's a software engineering and MBA graduate of DCU. Mark, welcome to the Libs Leadership Series. Thanks for having me, Brian. Finergo has undergone massive growth in the past number of years, now employing 800 people across 14 global offices. How would you say you've changed as a leader since founding the company? And what has been your approach to personal development along the way? Listen, I think for any founder or CEO out there, um, every day you wear many hats. And in the beginning, um, you know, you go through a day where you were the sales guy, the pre-sales guy, the engineer, the product support person. So you wear a hybrid of hats and you learn to do, you know, almost every job that's required in the company. And you now having a software engineering background, um, I've come from a place where, you know, I know how to fix things. So if there's a fire, I want to fix it. I want to roll my sleeves up and, and, and get stuck in. Over the last number of years, I've had to evolve away from that. You know, we've hired great people, really senior people. And in the beginning of, you know, that evolution from small to big, Mark rolling up the sleeves to fix things. It's just not the answer. It disempowers people um, it demotivates people. And whilst you might think, oh, as a leader, you've got to be in the trenches, you've got to lead from the front. I've had to learn um, to a change and, and, and adopt away from that. Um, you know, I, I've been actually working with a coach the last couple of years. It was really been both personally and professionally guiding me. And the first meeting um, as we were, you know, trying to establish where we stood with each other, the coach was like, Look, you're flying a plane here. The only people you're allowed to interact with are the people in first class. So choose the six or eight people that are sitting in that class. You can't be going down to 44F to see why the screen isn't working and can you <laughs> fix it? Because you know, you've just disempowered everybody in first class, business class, premium economy to get there. And in order to scale the business, and you know, we will um, break through the hundred million revenue mark, you know, in the next twelve months. And from my perspective, the only way we can break that 100 million, million ceiling is to build a team of executives who are empowered to go and grow their own subsections of the business. So professionally, I've had to teach myself new muscles. Mm. And that doesn't mean you don't hold people to account, but you hold people to account in a different way. And the different way is an empowerment way. When you let them make their own decisions. And I've gone from the person who can fix everything themselves to you know, having to resist getting involved to today where if someone's asking me to get involved, I'm like, well, that's, that's not my job. That's, that's somebody else's job. Like who's, you know, who have you disempowered by coming to talk to me? Yeah. Right. So that's kind of professionally. And then personally, you know, I think people would have had me in the category of emotional leader and emotional in that I program that and process that as, 
um, somebody that cared a lot. But really all that was happening was frustration would build up in my mind and then I'd blow, right? Mm. Then there'd be a trigger that would you know, create this emotional outburst. And really, you know, what I've what I've learned um, through, you know, books from the likes of uh, Eckhart, uh, Tolling, I think his name is, and just understanding the mind, understanding the delineation between thought, between between ego and between emotion. And they're actually three separate things that, you know, can really intertwine and morph and manifest as one. But really, you're just letting yourself down as, you know, there might have been an issue with a customer at nine o'clock in the morning and you're at a meeting at four o'clock in the afternoon and in comes the person who's responsible and bang, they get it across, you know, across the eyes in terms of a full variable. And it's, you know, it's just not the way, it's not the way to deal with it. So I've been on that journey a number of months now personally, and I feel like, you know, um, someone has put on a light in a dark shed that I just didn't understand or didn't know. And, you know, not that I'm, I'm not an educated man. I am. I've I've done seven, eight years of university, but you know, I was uneducated into how the mind works. I was uneducated into emotional thinking. I was uneducated in terms of what ego is and how it manifests itself. So you know, I've been on this journey that I've now found really fascinating. You know, um, my brother, who I'm very close to, will say, um, you know, borderline hippie. You know. But uh, as I try to explain, it's not that, you know, because it comes across that way. And I think in the in the majority of society, we it's seen that way. But really, it's something very different. It's just like someone saying, OK, let's let's teach you French, you know. And whoa, this is a cool language. And, you know, you've got past tense and and uh, current tense and all that. You know, you've just it's an opening up to a world. And I think it's made me a better leader. I think it's made me more aware. It's made me more aware of the things that really matter to people. Mm. It's not you've created a good working environment with a good culture. And culture to me is how we do things around here. That is focused on the outcomes we've got to deliver for our customers. Um, and you know, a no assholes policy, which I think is very important for people when they're when they um coming to work. A simple but effective rule. It is interesting to see the journey from someone who's probably more at home in front of a screen coding to now being able to you know, expand your interest to how do you think about the psychology of organizations. It, it, it's quite a journey, and I'm, I'm sure not everyone is able to find a passion in both. So I think that's what makes founder CEOs a rare enough breed. Yeah, and listen, some of the books that the, the coach has taken me through, like I look at her and, and uh, Mary Lou, um, I can't remember, is it O'Neill? It might be a married name. Um, Mary Lou, like when she's putting these books in front of me, I'm cringing. I'm going, Mary Lou, look, does, I want to put my feet up and watch a match, like, <laughs> you know, big, big into my sport. And that's my way of switching off. And, uh, but she's like, please persevere through it, you know, and you, oh, and you grind your way through. And then you're in chapter four and you go, actually, this is really good. Hmm. You know, this way you wake up and you just open these new doors. And then you start to see, you know, when a, a, a trigger is going to happen. That's, you just let yourself down, like something something happens and you, you blow up, right? And you tell yourself it's because you care, but you can care in other ways, you know, there's many ways you can care. And uh, so that's been my, the personal journey I'm on. And, and what's you, you know, I think after six months, she was like, right, we're done here. I was like, we're not, I need this now. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, if you're training or you're getting your fitness, you don't run for six weeks, feel great and say, I'm going to stop. I ran for six weeks. You run every week. 
for both your physical and mental health, right? Uh, that's what it's supposed to be, at least. Uh, and just for the listeners, Mark has a signed Dublin jersey hanging in the background, so you can tell sports definitely how you uh, choose to switch off. So do you reckon it was uh, Kerry who actually created COVID so we wouldn't get the six in a row? I think it has to have been. You know, I've, <laughs> I've, I've read into a lot of the conspiracy theories at the minute, and that seems the most plausible. Absolutely. So you mentioned something interesting, the metaphor your, your coach uses relating to empowering your leadership team of, you know, you have to pick the, the six people in first class that you can have to fly the plane with you. Like a lot of people leading global companies, I'd imagine your career has involved periods of quite significant actual travel, not metaphorical travel. Um, has the current lockdown changed your view on the need for corporate travel? So in 2019, um, I was away from home 186 nights. Whoa. So um, we believed at Finergo that in order to sell our software, we had to swarm customers and be there in person. Mm -hmm. And many of the top 25, 30 executives of the firm had that level of intensity in our travel. Um, The last nine weeks has really opened our minds to A, the amount of money we can save. We spent, I think it was 6 million euros on travel in 2019 right so it's a huge amount of money a and b just the physical strain on the body um to deliver that uh to deliver that level of of in-person uh meeting nine weeks on i'm like i was a mug what was i doing like honest to god i've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old and uh, i'm loving the time the weather's been great you know, in Ireland, as I'm sure it's been in London for a lot of your listeners. Um, and Finergo and how we configured it and how we did our business has changed forever. We've now, um, you know, as of the first week of June, got commitment from three banks that we met in COVID and will sign, you know, still in, in, in the COVID phase. So we can remote sell this software. Mm. These are multi-million euro contracts that we um, that we sell. So, you know, they're heavy duty, they're intense. We, we compare them to running a marathon, they're 26 units um, of work. But those units can be done remotely. Not saying that we'll never travel again, but I would imagine that in, you know, let's say, I don't need to be any travel in 2020, um, to be honest, but in 2021 or post a vaccine, you know, I think we would be get back up to 25% of what we were. Um, people just won't accept the, you know, the 4 a.m. wake up call for the red eye. You know, it's just life is too short, right? Mm. So there's um, there's definitely a realization that you can do what you can do, particularly with technology like on Zoom, where you, that you and I are using to communicate in Teams and WebEx and all of these. There's so much more we can achieve. And for us as a business, we're training new muscles. And I mm. think that's it. We're training new muscles in terms of how we engage with our with our customer base. And, um, and customers are loving it. Our productivity right across the company hasn't declined. In fact, we think it's improved, right? Just validating some of the stats over the last uh, nine, 10 weeks, just to make sure the data backs up how we feel. Um, but I would say that, um, that the world has changed forever and particularly for a global software company like us um, and how we thought we needed to behave to sell you're listening to the libs leadership series brought to you in partnership with our sponsors davy group and morgan mckinley you can join libs from our website li-bs.co.uk
On today's podcast, we're speaking with Mark Murphy, CEO and founder of Fenergo, about his own personal growth journey, building the right leadership team, and opportunities for entrepreneurs in 2020. Back to the interview. There are several popular quotes uh, pertaining to opportunities during crises, uh, doing the rounds at the moment. You, you can take your pick from Sun Tzu to Churchill. They certainly apply to Fenergo, which was founded during the 2008 financial crisis when it was spun out from the Ergo Group, an IT services provider where you had worked at for more than a decade previously. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs looking for opportunities in the current crisis? Yeah, there's, there's two aspects to that. I'll, I'll come back to the one you've identified in terms of um, of how we created the business um, in, in a moment. Um, but the people around me, um, so our primary backer, our New York private equity company called Inside Ventures, um, between Inside Ventures, um, myself and my team, we own 80% of the company. Um, so the, the common line they will use is, never waste a good recession or never waste a good crisis and in that context they're they're referring to you know make the business leaner you know look in inside of the business to see where you've got waste right so it gives you that good opportunity to um to really look for for opportunities and benefits in in what we are as a team ourselves so that's kind of one aspect the second part of this um element is just the opportunity in the market so, you know, given we serve the largest financial services companies in the world, this is an amazing catalyst for those firms to digitally transform. And um, the CEO of Microsoft, Nandela, said um, recently that he has seen two years digital and cloud transformation in two months across COVID. And I've seen that as well. Uh, we have signed 16 new banks um, in the five months of the year so far. And every one of them are going to cloud. You know, last year, only 40% of the banks we signed went to cloud. So there's a real accelerant in what's happening in, in the market. But to your first point about how we created um, Finergo, I think, listen, at that stage, 12 years ago, I was 30 years old. Um, you know, when you're 30, you think you're God, right? It was a little bit of just dumbness and naivety and a bit of rawness in just, you know, I can conquer the world. I can get after it. Like I mortgaged my house in the, just before the crisis hit to start this company, you know, it's, it looks when I was in the mirror and I say, I was the dumbest guy you've ever met. Right. <laughs> there was an aspect of that there. Um, but also just having a bit of steel, you know, having that bit of grit, you know, I grew up in Finglas in Dublin, work very, very much a working class area, as a lot of your listeners will know. And just what you learn mm. growing up there, it's either you get out of the way of the bullet or you're going to get hit. And I don't mean that um, specifically, but metaphorically, you learn that bit of street sense that a lot of your listeners will 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 learn living in London, right? Otherwise, you'll just be eaten. You'll be yeah. eaten alive. And so that mixture of just the bit of raw hunger, the bit of grace, bit of street street cred, street sense. Like this is when it's true crisis, it's true recessions that the next generation of everything is created. So if you have that one idea, now is the time to jump at it. Hmm. Not at the height when there's money sloshing around. It's now. Be that hungry individual that really wants to make something happen. VCs and private equity companies, they're looking for that at this time. 
Mm. They're chasing that set of ingredients. And, you know, more often than not, it's as much about the person or the team that are assembled as it is about you, you know, being the person to invent the new iPhone. It's very unlikely that any of us will be that. And, you know, Finergo, we started, you know, in one particular area and where we found the real niche was a little bit right of that. So we started an account opening. The real niche was in KYC AML, which is a mm. subset of the account opening. And now here we are in 2020, where almost all of our conversations are about account opening again, and KYC AML is a subs subset. So that's gone full full um, circle or full cycle for us. Um, but the genesis of that, I uh, that idea, but the rawness, the hunger, it's, it's about that. It's about having the stomach for it. And of course, at 30, you know, I didn't have young kids, so you didn't have that obligation. And, you know, can you ruffle enough money together to live? And how much do you really need to live? And it's not actually that much once the rent is covered or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I'd say it's the perfect time. The summer of 2020 when it made, you know, many of your listeners just get out there and get after it. Interestingly, headquartered in Dublin, you bucked the trend of going to one of the more established fintech hubs, you know, like London or Zurich. Was that a difficult decision? Did it happen organically? And would you recommend Dublin as a base to other fintech companies? Yeah, like a lot of it comes down to just not knowing any better. Like I am a 17 generation dub, right? I am a, the, the dirty dub or whatever expression you want to associate with me. I am that. I am that guy in Crow Park. I was bleeding dubs. I'm sick of them, you know. <laughs> I am one of them, a, a, a GA, proper GAA Dubliner, you know, and there's not, I think there's only 20,000 people in Dublin GA community. You wouldn't think that in all our final day mm. we used to find 70,000 tickets. But <laughs> um, I'm one of those those 20,000, and I just didn't know any better. And mm. um, so, you know, ended up, um, you know, getting a flat in London, and I'd go in and out of London a lot, and, but I actually found it better um, flying into the US and North America in general. Canada has been very good to, to Finergo. We have all of the large Canadian banks on the platform. Mm -hmm. um, so North America are more open, they're more susceptible to innovation, early mm -hmm. adoption, entrepreneurship. They really embrace it. They, you know, they have open arms to it. And Ireland is a great card, calling card in the US. You know, everybody has an Irish cousin or an Irish aunt and uncle, you know, mm. across the U.S. So, so you get you get doors swinging right open for you. But London, because of its accessibility, always felt like the one that you should crack. Mm. Now, we have cracked it in a big way. You know, right now we have a big business in London. We have about 70 people um, in our London office on Moorgate, 20 Moorgate there. So, you know, it's and I always feel when I land in London, it's a home from home as well. Right. But um in terms of Dublin, I would say that it was a bit just not knowing any better, which yeah. is why. And then we established and you realize that Dublin is genuinely for people and premises, access to talent, blah, blah, blah. It's it's still 30 percent cheaper than London. Right. You mightn't think that if you're drinking pints in Temple Bar. But the reality is that by the time all is said and done with salaries and so on, and mm -hmm. then maybe 40 percent cheaper than Toronto or New York and even Sydney where we've got a big presence, very expensive, Tokyo, very, very expensive. So those things um, became good. And then you know, we've been able to attract great talent initially from places like City, 
bank mm. who've got a, a big technology hub here. So that fintech, there's a few of them. Um, um, who else is here? Fidelity Investments, where they've got actual technology hubs. There's obviously mm. a lot of fund administration with Bank of New York Mellon and JP Morgan, but not big tech hubs. And now, obviously, with Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Salesforce, all having big centers here, they're pulling our people. So that's a struggle where they're yeah. throwing money at them and better premises and you know gourmet uh, Michelin star chefs for lunch and all those things, right? But there's very few multinationals that are fintech that are homegrown that are irish owned out there there's only a handful and not at a scale of doing 100 million in revenue right um which is which is pretty pretty unique absolutely yeah i, I think stripe is the example that comes to mind but you know sf headquartered so you really are uh, pretty much in a, a league of your own yeah now well, listen I, I i i admire and envy stripe and what the two lads have done the collison brothers um you know that's a different league in fairness to them. You know, they're multi, multi-billion uh, fundraisers they're doing, you know, every every half year. So they're they're building at a whole other, other scale. But as you say, yet given the guys live in San Francisco, but all of the C-suite, so all of the executives are um, based out of Dublin here. Our CTO, Niall, actually lives in Ballincollig in Cork and he has commuted. And because his wife is a teacher there and she wanted to be in Cork. But our CFO, our COO, um, Dublin, Columns originally Waterford, but lives in Dublin, Malahide. Um, Louise, our chief customer officer, is, lives in Bray. And Paul Cavanagh, who's our chief revenue officer, is in Dalkey. So, you know, um, ultimately, this is an Irish, an Irish business run and controlled. Well, Mark, wonderful speaking with you today. Great hearing about your journey, your experience, and your thoughts on leadership. Is there anywhere people should go if they want to learn more about you specifically or about Fernergo more generally? Yeah, listen, I think uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, we have a very active profile there. If people want to follow follow the business, you know, at the start of the lockdown, we had 150 jobs open, which we shut down, um, you know, just in response to it. We've since opened 75 of the 150 back up. The plan is that by September, we'll have reopened the total 150 so for us culture is hugely important finding irish people overseas is a real you know ladder on the snakes and ladders board for us in terms of integration and execution and whilst you know you think oh we can get on with the americans and we can get on with the english and all that, and we do but actually as an irish business where you know we have we have the banter yeah it's it's done and meant in the best possible way it's light-hearted and so on just to have that ease with people around the world it makes things just just so much easier so i'd say to any of your listeners you know if you're from a banking software background you know there's a ton of jobs that we've opened we'd love to talk to people wonderful mark thank you for joining us today on the libs leadership series you're welcome brian be well that's it for today's podcast i'd like to thank our sponsors davy group and morgan mckinney For more information about the London Irish Business Society, you can find us on all of the usual social channels. Thank you for listening.